Have you ever heard the phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? Anybody heard that before? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's what I want to talk about this morning, okay? There are no obstacles or obstructions. We're all called to come to Jesus, and we all come to him on level ground. Perhaps that's why Isaiah 40 prophesied, every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill brought low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. Why? Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now, the past two weeks, we have seen Jesus encounter disaster on the Sea of Galilee and demons when he got to the other side. After disaster and demons, in today's text, Jesus confronts disease and even death. This morning, we encounter another one of Mark's sandwich stories. He tells one story about Jairus' daughter in verses 21 through 24. Then an unnamed woman comes up to Jesus in verses 24 through 34. And then we come back to Jairus' daughter in verses 35 through 43. And the sheer length of the Bible that we're going to be engaging this morning is the only reason we didn't have a second reading this morning, okay? Um, we often preach from 10 or 12 verses, and this is one of those stories that doesn't work in, in a bite-sized chunk. We've got to keep it all together to understand what Mark is trying to say to us. Perhaps you've heard recently that, um, that human beings have, now have such um, low attention spans, we have less of an attention span than a goldfish, right? <laughs> um, and so, but that doesn't always work when we read the Bible because the Bible was written with some of these stories that are meant to be kept together. And so we're going to keep them together this morning, okay? Sound good? Okay, whoa, it grew. There was like four of you, and then there was like seven. This is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, so we're going to keep it all this, together this morning. Um, we, we encounter this sandwich story um, in Mark chapter 5, verses tw uh, 21 through 43. If you've got a Bible, um, follow along with me. If not, we'll have it up here. Hear God's word. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now remember, on the other side of the lake, Jesus and his disciples had encountered a man in a graveyard where the townspeople had chained him up. He was possessed by evil spirits, but when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And now, back in town... Perhaps um, Capernaum, with all the people around, a synagogue leader does the exact same thing. Uh, Mark uses the exact same phrase to describe it. Now, equals in the first century, in this, time, in this part of the world, would greet one another with a kiss. Equals would, would greet one another with, with a kiss. And, and if you were slightly less than the person you were greeting, you might give them a kiss on the cheek. But if, if you were like the lowliest of all the lowliest of servants, you would bow down before someone. And that's what this synagogue leader does. It's very strange because remember, the religious authorities, like this man Jairus, have been out to get Jesus for a couple of chapters now, right? We're in chapter 5. It's been since at least chapter 3. They were out to get him. And yet this man is desperate. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus... My little daughter is dying. 
Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and lived. And so Jesus went with him. Um, Jesus is not worried that they're out to get him. Jesus is not concerned that this would be a trap. When Jesus is asked to go, he goes. Even from Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders who are out to get him. Now, this is the first part of Mark's sandwich story. I'm just going to tell you that all the way through as we go along so that you can have a really clear understanding about what's happening here. This is the first part of the story. Here's the second part. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Don't miss the implications here. Um, She could at one time afford a doctor. Only the very wealthy could afford a doctor. And at one time, she could do it. But now, she was poor, 12 years later. And in addition to the suffering brought on by her disease, she was also considered ceremonially unclean and lived like a leper. If this woman came in contact with anyone else, they were considered unclean as well. This is true of all those codes that we read about for purity back in Leviticus, right? But when she heard about Jesus, I love that line so much, don't you? When she heard about Jesus, do you ever wonder in the midst of her shamed and shunned life, when had she heard about Jesus? We don't know. What had she heard about Jesus? We don't know. Who told her about Jesus? No idea. But when she heard about Jesus, when did you hear about Jesus? Who told you about Jesus? What did you hear? When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, right? Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? Which is a fair question, isn't it? Did Jesus really not know? It's possible that in taking on human flesh, Jesus willingly set aside some divine attributes like omniscience while still remaining divine. I think that's possible. I think that we can still hold an orthodox understanding of who Jesus is as God in the flesh without all of the attributes of God when he was in heaven. I think it's possible to to do that, to say, well, Jesus was here, and and in becoming human, he, he didn't hold on to all of those attributes. We know Jesus couldn't be in all places at once as a human, so maybe Jesus didn't know everything at once. But you want to know what I think? Okay, all right, I got even more of you that time, like a solid eight. This is what I think. I think Jesus knew exactly what happened. And I think it was quite purposeful that Jesus wanted to give this woman an opportunity to fess up. That's what I think. Mark tells us, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. (laughs) Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, (laughs) 
Oh, it's so good. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, priests in the synagogue, like where Jairus worked, would say very similar things. But, you know, they would always include a special line. They would include a command to go to the temple and make a sacrifice. Sometimes Jesus does that. But not here. Jesus doesn't do so. Instead of telling her she needs to go to the temple and make a sacrifice, instead Jesus offers her peace. It's the the Hebrew word shalom that he uses. You've heard this word before. It's not just the cessation of difficulty or disease. It's the presence and the power of healing and wholeness, perhaps even happiness. It's the presence and power of God's spirit. Shalom is what happens on day seven after God creates the world and everything is right. Everything is complete. Everything is just as it's supposed to be. That's shalom. And that's what Jesus gives this woman. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine hearing that if you were her after all that she's been through? And I love this. It's the only time Jesus ever calls anyone daughter. This is it right here. It might seem kind of awkward to us, but no doubt it was received as intended, as affirming and affectionate to a woman who had lost everything, who had been ostracized from everyone, and who couldn't go anywhere. Jesus knew she needed more than healing of her physical body. She needed restoration and reconciliation with everyone around her. It's as if Jesus is saying, you no longer have to stay 10 feet away. This woman is a daughter of the king. She has been welcomed into the household and the family of God, and she can be welcomed into your house as well. It's not only that she'd been healed physically from her suffering, she'd been restored, she'd been reconciled with the community that had ostracized her. Now, that's the second part of Mark's sandwich story. Are you sticking with me? We have the first part with Jairus and his daughter. We have the second part with this unnamed woman, okay? Here's the third part. While Jesus was still speaking, some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, came. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? In other words, it's too late. Uh, You can give up hope now. You don't need to bother the teacher anymore. It's an unbearable place that many of us have been. And perhaps hearing stories like this one brings all of those memories back again. All of that hurt and all of that heartache. What can we do when it's too late? What do we do when all hope is lost, right? Now, in this story, this time, this is what Jesus says. Mark tells us, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Jesus spoke to Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out. By the way, the Greek says he threw them out. True story. 
The Greek word is ekbalain. It's the same thing that Jesus does in the temple when he walks in and the money changers are there and he tosses over the tables. Ekbalain. He picks them up and he says, you're out. Get out. Go. The ones who are going to laugh at me when I say she's just sleeping, you're not welcome here anymore. Then he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and they went in where the child was. I love that Jesus can throw people out on one, on one second and then the very next be so tender and, and quiet and sweet and gentle. He took this girl by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl or maybe even little lamb. It's kind of a little nickname. Little lamb, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this story. And we bring to this story ourselves for all of the hurts and heartaches that we have experienced for the times when we feel that we have lost hope. For the ways that we have wanted you to show up and have felt like you didn't show up in the way we wanted. And we come to you seeing these discrepancies and these differences between people like Jairus and this unnamed woman. We ask that in these few moments we have together, you would help us to see ourselves in this story. And to understand what it could mean for us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, Jesus and his disciples return from the Gerasenes. And a crowd is waiting. Just like is always happening in the Gospels. There's always a crowd around Jesus, isn't there? And then Jairus, a synagogue leader, comes to Jesus. There's no kiss on the lips, not on the cheek. No hug, no handshake, no high five. No, he bends down, he bows down before Jesus like the lowliest servant. What would they say in the synagogue on Saturday? Oh, Jairus bowed down before Jesus? Oh my gosh. And on their way, with the crowd close behind, Jesus and Jairus are interrupted. Interrupted by a woman who was the polar opposite of Jairus. Think about it. Jairus was not only the head of his household, he was the head of the synagogue. We know his name, we know his occupation, we know his family, and we know those things because everyone there knew these things. Jairus was a local celebrity. Everyone knew Jairus. When he was out and about in town, people recognized Jairus. But then there's this unnamed woman who is sick, who is shunned, who is shamed, who should not have even been out in public much less in a crowd of people. After all, they figured she could be contagious. She's ceremonially unclean. She's supposed to stay away. And perhaps she was known at one time when she had money to spend on doctors, but now, 12 years later, whispers must have been traded back and forth. Is that who I think it is? What's she doing here? Well, she heard about Jesus, didn't she? She heard about Jesus. We don't know when, we don't know what, we don't know how, we don't know from whom, but she heard about Jesus. And Mark could have told this story in another way, couldn't he? 
As Mark's recounting these stories, he could have said, well, there was this man named Jairus, and Jairus came and he fell down at Jesus' feet, and Jesus went and healed his young daughter. She had even died. Jesus said she was asleep. Everybody laughed. Jesus threw him out, and then he raised her back up. And then there's this other time where there was this woman, and this woman came, and we don't know who she was, but we know that she had a terrible disease and had been suffering for years and had lost everything she had to doctors, and, and Jesus healed her. How great is that? But Mark doesn't tell us the story that way, does he? No. Mark tells us how it happened, because how it happened is as important as what has happened. That Jesus was not only interrupted, but Jesus willingly interacted with this unnamed woman who is sick, who is shunned, and who is shamed. And she, of all people, was called daughter. It's no mistake that Jesus goes on to interact with Jairus' daughter, and yet in the middle of the story, Mark wants us to see that the person Jesus calls daughter is this woman, this unnamed woman, who should have never left her house. Why? We know why. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. In Jesus, the valleys have been raised up. The mountains and hills have been made low. The rough ground has become level. The rugged place is a plain. There's no mistake that when John the Baptist is out baptizing people in the Jordan, he quotes from Isaiah 40. that That's what he's here to do. To prepare a level ground so that anyone can come to Jesus. And this woman did. In one of his books, Henry Nouwen relays the recollection of a priest he knew. And the priest confided in him. He said this, I have always been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted. And then I realized that the interruptions were my work. <laughs> Has anybody ever felt that way before? If you have the blessing of being a parent, your hand should be raised. <laughs> Right? My gosh. I'd always been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted. And then I realized my interruptions were my work. Jesus has this uncanny ability to be present wherever he is. He's present with Jairus when Jairus has the audacity to ask for his help. He's present. Oh, you need me to go? Your daughter is sick? Let's go. And then Jesus is interrupted by this unnamed woman who had been shunned and shamed, and Jesus stops, and his interruption is his work. Oh, I want to know who touched my cloak. I think Jesus did it on purpose. I think he knew exactly what was going on, and he knew that she needed more than healing, that she needed more than freedom from the suffering in her body, that she needed restoration and reconciliation with everybody in that crowd. I think they knew who she was. And I think Jesus paused to say, oh, yeah, somebody just grabbed my cloak, and I'd like, I'd like whoever it is to fess up. And then he kept looking around, Mark tells us. He kept looking around, looking around the crowd. And his disciples were saying, what are you doing? You're wasting time. we got to go. And Jesus says, no, the interruptions are my work. Now and continues, he says, the unpleasant things, the hard moments, the unexpected setbacks carry more potential than we usually realize. For the movement from Palm Sunday to Easter takes us from the easy victory 
built on small dreams and illusions to the hard victory offered by the God who waits to purify us by his patient, caring hand. And that's the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach Jairus. That's why I think Jesus pauses. Jesus allows himself to be interrupted to say, somebody grab my cloak, I think. That's the lesson Jesus taught Jairus. And I think that's the lesson Mark wants to teach us. And that's why he tells the story the way he tells it. That he says there was Jairus and then this unnamed woman. And then Jesus went and healed Jairus' daughter. But don't forget that the one he called daughter was the woman in the middle of the story. That Jesus' interruptions were his work. And when the people come from Jairus' house and they tell him that all is lost and that it's time to give up hope, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. And sometimes I like to, I just like to imagine things in these stories and in my mind, and this could have happened, it may not have happened, but in my mind, when, when they come from Jairus' house and they say, it's too late, and Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, I think, or I like to imagine, that Jesus is like tipping his head back to the woman. Don't be afraid, just believe. Do, do you see what I just did here? Have faith like this woman. Believe like she believed. Hope like she hoped. Have courage to clutch my cloak. Where do you see yourself in this story this morning? There's the commotion of the crowd all looking on. There's Jairus, who everybody knows, who's got it all together. There's this unnamed and unknown woman, the example of faith for us all. To believe like she believed, to hope like she hoped, to have courage to clutch Jesus' cloak. Last night there was a football game. I'm not sure if you saw it. <laughs> this is the dangerous part of the sermon. Because I know that um, there's this dividing wall of hostility. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. So we're not going to talk, we're not, I'm not even going to mention the names of the teams that played. But it was just a, you know, right before we started worship, about an hour ago at this time, I, I was reminded of the football game and reminded of the incredible camera angle work of those who are, who are on the sidelines, making sure we see everything that's going on in the field. It's kind of like what Mark does in this story. He directs our attention to specific things in specific ways, Right? And I'm not mentioning team names or players or anything like that. But just about an hour ago, I was reminded that there was a player playing for one of the teams that you might love or despise. And he was hurt. And he was hurt badly. And the commentators were talking about it constantly. And he would wince when he threw the ball. Well, now you know his position. Anyway. Um, and somehow he continued playing. And he would turn and he would just, oh, man. And he would walk toward the sideline. And at times they, they had his thumb taped up. And then, and then later on in the game they had his index finger taped up. And I was never good at sports that required, uh, what's it called, coordination. <laughs> That's why I was a runner. It's like if you can, I mean, you can do that. And I even had trouble with that sometimes. But, 
But apparently the thumb, and Janae knows it's true, the thumb and the index finger are kind of important in throwing a football. Who knew? And they were taped up. But the reason I thought about it an hour ago is that this player, in the midst of his pain, I don't know if you noticed this, and the, cameras, the camera guys were so good, they kept just zeroing right in, and he would reach down and he would just grab his little towel on the side of his, on the side of his, uh, I don't know what they're called, football pants? <laughs> and he would just, and he would just, <laughs> I don't know, and he would just grab it. Do you ever see that? Did anybody see that? After every play, he would wince, he would turn, he would just grab it. Oh. And the camera guys would zoom right in. And that's what Mark's doing for us. He's zooming in. Um, and he wants us to see this woman, this unnamed woman. Because I think a lot of us want to spend our lives like Jairus. We want to get it together, right? Synagogue leader, everybody knows our name. Check me out. How cool am I? And yet, when we're honest, a lot of us feel like this unnamed woman who've in some way or another been shamed or shunned. And Mark is zooming in um, like those camera operators last night on that hand that was in such pain that just kept clutching that little rag. And, and Mark wants us to clutch the cloak of Jesus just like that. With all of our shame, with everything we've got to reach out for Jesus and to just grab that cloak. That's why he tells the story the way he tells it. Well, there was Jairus needed help with his daughter, and then there's this unnamed woman, and then Jesus went back and helped Jairus' daughter. And the middle part, the middle is where we find all the meaning that's supposed to speak to the other parts. That's why he tells the story this way. So I want to invite us to pray this morning um, for just a moment. Um, because in the midst of this story is a, is a foreshadowing of the resurrection, isn't there? That there are people who will laugh as, as we think about the one who has fallen asleep. And yet, um, just like Jairus' little girl, Jesus is, is raised again. And when Jesus assures this woman in the middle that, that she's been healed, it's the same Greek word as saved. It's the same word as salvation. And then he doesn't require her to make a sacrifice. And maybe it's because he thought that she'd sacrificed enough, or maybe it's because her healing, her saving, comes through a sacrifice that she wouldn't have to make. It comes through a sacrifice made for her, on her behalf, on all of our behalfs, by, by Jesus himself. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus is happy to be interrupted. That's his whole work. He'll be interrupted by Jairus. He'll be interrupted by an unnamed woman. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And she doesn't have to sacrifice because he's going to take care of that for her. Just like he's taking care of all of that for us. And so I want to invite us to pray this morning. And um, included in that prayer will be an opportunity, if you've never prayed a prayer like this, to pray it for the first time. Um, 
man, I'm sorry. I'm going to, this is going to happen for a few weeks. Um, don't intend for it to. Um, but I want to say that um, it's so easy to be part of the crowd. It's so easy for the crowd to follow Jesus around. It's so difficult to clutch after his cloak. Because to do that, you've got to come out from the crowd, and you have to be willing for him to say, who did that? I think Jesus did it on purpose, so that she would say, I did. And I want to invite us to be those kind of people who would clutch after the cloak of Jesus with all the pain we've got, um, and to be willing to say, yep, that's my only hope in life and in death, it's Jesus. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this story, and we even give you thanks for the way Mark tells the story so that we don't miss its meaning. And we come to you with all kinds of hurts and heartaches and hopelessness feeling like it's too late, feeling like we don't want to interrupt you, feeling like we don't want to be a burden. And yet, the meaning and the message of this story is that we would be like this unnamed woman in the midst of all her shame, all the ways she'd been shunned, to reach out and to clutch the cloak of Jesus. And so we ask that you would help us to do the same. With all the ways that we're hurt and hurt and hopeless, all the ways we need healing and wholeness, would you give us that courage to reach out for your cloak? And the courage to be willing to raise our hand and say, yep, that's my only hope in life and in death. It's Jesus. And so, for those of us who are here who've been part of the crowd and perhaps have never come out of the crowd to say, yes, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to Reach out for Jesus' cloak this morning. And in the quietness of your heart, you can repeat these very simple words. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he allows himself to be interrupted for a sinner like me. I confess to you the ways that I've fallen short of the life you've called me to live. And yet I thank you that it's through Jesus that I'm healed and I'm saved. And I claim that promise as my own this morning. Help me to come out from the crowd and to clutch that cloak, to be willing to raise my hand with the courage to say yes. Jesus is my Lord and Savior from this day forward. He is my only hope in life and in death. God, we give you thanks for this, Jesus.
and that he's called us not to be individuals following after you by ourselves, but that he's called us into community, that we can be and even more so become his disciples. Open our eyes to the ways that we're like Jairus, that we stand tall, proud, and the ways that we need to be more like this unnamed woman, bowing down, offering ourselves. We pray it all in the name of Jesus and for the sake of his inbreaking kingdom. And everybody said,